Amen. Thank you, Amy. Well, hey, y'all, my name is Cody, and to kick things off, I have two public service announcements for you. The first one is I want to apologize on behalf of the worship team up here. I don't know if some of you noticed, but Steve, who was slapping the bass, was wearing a Michigan shirt, and I hope, <laughs> I hope that didn't hinder anybody's worship this morning. So we, 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 we apologize. My second PSA is now that Thanksgiving is over, you can listen to Christmas music free and without condemnation or guilt or shame. Uh, is there anyone in the room you've been listening to Christmas music since like October? Anyone? Wow. You guys deserve a little bit of guilt and shame for that. You guys can boo them if you want. They might deserve it. Uh, do y'all know who the queen of Christmas music is? Mariah Carey, wow, that's a lot of you this morning. So Mariah, around 29 years ago, she came out with the song, I'm gonna sing it, and audience, I need help with the you part. All I want for Christmas is you. It was better than last service. Was, uh, thank you for whoever got high over here. I appreciate that. So she makes like three million a year in royalties off of this song, not too bad. But here's the deal, some of you love Christmas music, while others of you hate Christmas music. And uh, I, my hand is half raised in that category, I feel like a Grinch a little bit. Some Christmas music I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, and I think here's why, is Christmas music can feel uh, like the social media of music. It can, like, we all know that um, Facebook or Instagram, that's not real life, right? Like that's fabricated, photoshopped, the best version of somebody, it's not, it's not real life. Life. And Christmas music can feel like this totally unrealistic version of how the Christmas season is supposed to go. And in some ways, that's just breeding grounds for resentment, right? Like it, Christmas music can paint such a beautiful picture. And then when that doesn't happen, we, we can feel uh, incomplete or, or um, just stirred by it. And so I, I wanna break down a few song lyrics uh, to, to, to share what I'm saying. Let's take Mariah's song, for example, All I Want for Christmas is You. I know I've way overthought this, but just go with me. So a few questions I have for Mariah. First off, what if she doesn't get the guy that she wants for Christmas? Is she gonna spend her whole Christmas with her family just in a corner in like a bad mood and bringing everybody down with her like a black dark hole? Or if she does get the guy that she thinks that she wants, what if he doesn't live up to her expectations and she realizes she doesn't really like him that much and now he's at her Christmas gathering meeting her family and she secretly wants to break up with them but now she has to buy him a Christmas gift and it's always weird when you first start dating somebody. Uh, you wanna be intentional with the gift but not you know, sending the message that you're too overly obsessed with them. So she needs to figure out the gift and she can't break up with him before New Year's Eve because she needs a date. And so again, I know I've way overthought this. <laughs> But, but there's a lot to the song, or let's take the song, I'm dreaming of a white. Right, nothing wrong with this song. It's a morally, it's a great song, but, but it, it paints a picture for us that this Christmas season just needs to be so perfect and so ideal, and it better be a white Christmas, which we haven't had here in uh, Cincinnati since 2017. And, um, and, and so this song, it hits the nostalgia inside of us, right? It stirs our heart, and, and what we want to think is that everything during Christmas is going to be perfect. So when I go to my, my family gathering, everything is just gonna go perfect with our family. There's gonna be no hurt feelings. Feelings, everything is gonna go great, right? That's our heart and our desire. And, and uh, let's see here, I, I had a list of some other 
ticking time bombs that, that could lead to resentment during the Christmas season. One is if you work really, really hard to get your kid the, the, the popular Christmas gift, Tickle Me Elmo or whatever it is, you work really hard to get it, but then your kid doesn't really play with it that much or they're not grateful, then you're resenting them. Or if, if you're not able to afford the gift, then your kid might be resenting you. There's just, this season can be so filled with potential resentment. And so these songs can, can feed into some of this, right? And there are good songs, obviously. There's songs that talk about Jesus and the reason for the season and, and gratitude and all of these things. But especially Christmas songs in the last 20 or 30 years, who are these Christmas songs focused on? focused on me, right? They're focused on what I want for Christmas, how I want things to be, things better be perfect. They're me-focused songs. And the songs that we listen to, they inform our lives. They set our expectations. Songs are powerful, right? Your song, you'll have song lyrics in your head in the middle of the night. You'll, you'll have song lyrics in your head when you can't remember anything else, right? That's why we memorize songs to... Uh, as we do CPR, or as you try to memorize things, song lyrics are powerful. And, and this obviously isn't just a Christmas song problem. This is, in general, the songs we listen to inform our lives. And we all have songs stuck in our head. I'm not talking about uh, song, like real song lyrics. I'm talking about thought patterns that we sing to ourselves over and over again that inform our lives. And we all have negative thought patterns and negative songs in our heads. And sometimes we don't even know we're humming them. A, a friend or a counselor or somebody has to point it out to us. And to show you what I mean, I'm gonna put up on the screen behind me my top five most negative streamed songs of all time. They're, they're songs that, that I end up perpetuating in my mind and I don't even know it. So song number one is called Dead Ends and Dread. So this is a song all about how the future is filled with a lack of resources and a lack of relationships and I better hoard and save now. And song number two is like it. It's called Be Prepared and it's sung in the tone of Lion King because why not? Uh, but this song is very similar to the first song. It's about how I need to prepare now for hardship that's going to come in the future. And if you'll notice, most artists, they only sing about a few things over and over again, right? Like Taylor Swift, she sings about broken relationships and past boyfriends. For me, like the... This is my wheelhouse right now, right here. This is what I think about. This is how I guess anxiety informs my life. Song number three in my life is I'm dreaming not of a white Christmas, but of a world where everybody likes me and is so impressed by me. <laughs> I don't really need to break this one down. It's self-explanatory. Song number four is called Feel Sorry for Me and My Catastrophe. This is where... I will envision in my head something catastrophic happening in my life, like my whole family dies in some sort of Job-like experience, and I lose my job, and my dog leaves me for my best friend, and whatever else, and I find my, and, and so I, these catastrophic moments, and then I give myself permission to feel sorry for myself, for these things that are never going to happen, and I throw myself a pity party. It's so silly, but it's what I do. Song number five on my list is called Ministry. And ministry is putting the me back in ministry where I try to further the kingdom of God, but I do it in my own strength, my own ability, my own giftings, in my own time, how I want to, my discernment, blah, blah, blah. I'm not leaning on God, trusting in his provision. It's all about me. And so we all have some of these negative songs that play around in our brain. And uh, what, what can happen is these negative songs can leave us trapped 
perpetuating the same old song and dance as the saying goes. Um, And we can find ourselves never taking new ground, but instead we find ourselves trapped in victims of our circumstances. But, But there is another way. And we wanna look at some different songs and some different thought patterns that we see in the Christmas story. So uh, this Christmas, as we look at the biblical narrative, we're actually gonna study different characters in that narrative who burst out into song. Because sometimes the Bible is like high school musical or sound of music, they just break out into song in different points and it's recorded in scripture. And so we're gonna study these lyrics uh, and we want to apply them to our life. We don't just wanna learn, but we wanna be conformed by what we read. And so week one, we're looking at the most underknown, in my opinion, the most underknown, underplayed, streamed Christmas song in the biblical narrative, and it's the song of Zechariah. And if you're like, who? Exactly. Like, not many people are famil- super familiar with his story, but we want to study Zechariah's Christmas song. And before we get to it, here's a little bit about who he is. Zechariah is a temple priest. And so people come to the temple to be made right with God, to sacrifice animals or whatever, and Zechariah helps with that process. Well, the year before Jesus was born, Zechariah was chosen by God to burn incense in the temple. And so uh, you'll see behind me a breakdown of the temple. You have the outer court, or the, out, the outer courtyard, the holy place in the Holy of Holies. Zechariah, he was chosen by God to enter into the holy place at the altar of incense to burn incense. And as the incense rose to heaven, his prayers would raise to heaven be, and be a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so this was a beautiful honor. Uh, There were 18,000 priests at this time and only 14 were chosen per year uh, to to do this uh, duty and and he was one of them. So this is a one in a lifetime opportunity. Zechariah enters the temple and he meets an angel in the temple and it scares him. It scares the daylights out of him. He freaks out and, and people throughout the Bible when they encounter an angel, they usually freak out because angels are majestic and mighty and deadly and all of these things. Um, and so after the angel calms him down, he starts prophesying. He says, Zachariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. It's a baby boy and this is gonna be no ordinary boy. This child is going to be the forerunner, the one who ushers in the Messiah. Here's what he says in verse 15 of Luke 1. The angel says, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is incredible. Zechariah, he asked the Lord, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. To us, this seems like a fair question. He's like, my wife and I were old as dirt. They've probably tried since they were married to have kids. It wasn't in the books for them. So he's like, how's all of this gonna happen? But, but here, here's what happens. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so this scenario, it shows us that there are consequences for our unbelief, right? Like he, he can't speak for this time. And, and um, 
here at North Star, like we obviously want to, like beliefs are okay. Your, your disbeliefs are welcome here. Your doubt is welcome here. But we want to use that as a starting point. We never want to stay there. We want to use that as a launching pad because we want to be a church that trusts God at his word and, and, and believes what he says. And we want to act on that belief. And so people throughout the Bible who, who doubt God's goodness, who doubt uh, what he's saying, they, they miss out on his goodness or they're, they're punished for a time. And so Zechariah, he has his mouth bound up, and as he leaves the temple, everyone knows something is wrong because he goes to give the benediction, and he can't. And so word spreads that, that this priest has had an encounter, and I don't know if it was gossip or if it was excitement or what, but people are saying all sorts of stuff. Um, it, it, but then nine months later, Elizabeth, she gives birth to this baby boy and relatives and neighbors and priests, everyone comes over and they're all celebrating. And in verse 59, it talks about a ceremony that takes place. It says, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he will be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. So I wanna break down this passage a little bit. It's wild for us to try to comprehend this passage because we are a very individualistic culture. We're the most individualistic culture in the world by far. It's about me and what I want and what I think. This is a collectivist culture. It's not about me, but it's about we. And so the fact that it says they were going to name him Zachariah, who is the they? Well, it's the relatives, it's the family members, it's the neighbors. They just decided to name him Zachariah. And there was also a deep-seated tradition that you name your kids after people who are in your family. So they just assumed his name is gonna be Zachariah. So much so the mom has to speak up and say, actually, his name is John. And then they had the audacity to mansplain to her, did you know that there's no one in your family named John, right? Like to us, this is wild. Um, 62. Uh, it says, they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was set free and Zechariah began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And so all of this background, this miraculous stuff, it leads to Zechariah's song. And it starts in verse 67. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now we know right here that Zechariah is not talking about his own baby boy, John, because John was from the house of Levi. He was talking about someone from the house of David. This was the Messiah. And then verse 70, it says, as he says through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So this is a beautiful, beautiful song slash prophecy about God and his rescue, Glorious song. Before, before we move to application around this song, I just wanna brag on Zachariah for a moment because this dude could have made his song about so many different things after having all of these crazy experiences. And so I've theorized, this isn't in the Bible, this is just Cody's thoughts, Here's what I think some of Zachariah's songs could have sounded like, some of the old songs that he could have been perpetuating in his mind. The first song I think he could have been tempted to sing is Welcome to My Life by Simple Plan. And you probably only know the song if you listened to punk rock in the early 2000s. But this song is like, in my, in my opinion, the greatest self-pity song of all time. It's just so like, it's bathed and self-pity. And Zachariah could have sang to this tune. He could have like, woe is me, I went nine months, I had this scary experience with an angel, thought I was gonna die, whatever. He could have made it all about him and, and pity me. The second song Zachariah could have sang is We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. He could have responded with anger. Right, saying, Lord, I've served you for so many years in the temple. All I asked is a simple question. How's this all gonna happen? You didn't punish Mary. Like Mary asked the angel and she didn't get punished. Why did I get punished? And so he could have responded in anger. The third song maybe he could have sang is In the End by Linkin Park. In the end, it doesn't even matter. His mantra could have been, God, I've done so much for you and you treat me this way. And, and so he could have responded in all of these negative ways but that's not what happened. Instead, what we notice, he, he didn't sing about losing his voice or getting his voice back. In fact, Zechariah says nothing about himself. Instead of singing and perpetuating an old song, Zechariah sings a new song. And a new song is God's favorite kind of song. Multiple places in scripture, God commands us to sing new songs. We see it in, in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. And then Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. We also see it in the New Testament in the book of Revelation after God has redeemed his people and we're all in the throne room singing, he commands us in Revelation 14 to sing a new song. So God is all about the new song. It's all about what God is going to do. Yes, it's about what he's done, how he's been faithful, but what he's going to do. That's what he wants us to step into is his new song. And so there are some takeaways from Zachariah's song that I think can help us apply this to our life, that the idea of singing a new song. The first takeaway from Zachariah's song, uh, it was pretty obvious right in the beginning, it says Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, like he didn't sing this song out of his own feelings, his own emotions, what he thought would sound great. No, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and this is what flowed out of him. This is abiding in the Holy Spirit and letting him work. 
And just as a fun fact, somebody pointed out that Zachariah, his wife Elizabeth, and their baby boy John, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And at least as far as we have recorded down in history, this is the first family all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Uh, the second thing from Zachariah's song um, that I think can help sing, us sing a new song is Zachariah did a beautiful job of putting first things first. Th- this might sound harsh, but, but if you noticed, Zachariah didn't sing about his new baby boy at the beginning of the song at all. Like he didn't mention John, and I don't know if that took Elizabeth's by surprise or even him by surprise as he was being guided by the Holy Spirit. But instead, Zachariah focused on the coming Messiah. He focused on the Christ. And I think that's the pearl of this passage. It's the truth that no matter what our current circumstances are, whether your circumstances are bad or whether your circumstances are good, and in Zachariah's case, this was probably one of the best moments of his life, but he didn't focus on his current circumstances. Instead, he knew that his present is informed by his future. Right, And for any of us who are believers in Christ, our present is informed by what God is going to do in our life, how he's gonna redeem and restore all things and all the other R's that Beth talked about last week. That's what God is doing in our future. And our current circumstances are fragile, right? They're here one moment and gone the next. That's not what we wanna build our foundation on. We wanna, our focus needs to be on Christ and his redemption. And that leads to the third point, Um, Zachariah did a beautiful job of declaring how we fit into God's rescue plan. And so when Zachariah finally did mention his own son in his song, it was one verse. And it's only because that verse then launched him back in to talking more about Messiah and the redemption that was going to come. And and so I think this, this shows us like we are a small, small part of God's plan, right? We're a small part of his rescue and redemption. And our life is filled with so much more peace when we realize that life isn't about us, but it's about God's greater story that we can be faithful with our small part and we can do our small part and then we can leave the rest up to God, right? Like that leads to a life of peace when we remember that we get to partake in his rescue plan and that he's restoring and redeeming and he's doing all of these things. It's all about God's rescue. And so all of this, like this song, it's a far cry from maybe some of the me-focused songs that that we can be tempted to to sing during this Christmas season. And uh, right now, I wanna invite up John St. John. He's one of our uh, worship pastors. Uh, Here's the deal. Zachariah, he did an incredible job of embodying a form of worship that God commands us to do. There are multiple words for worship uh, in the Bible, and I want John to, to break down one of these worship words because again, Zachariah, he just nailed it. So take it away, John. Hey guys. Check, check. Nope. Yeah, you're on. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so one of these words is going to be on the screen behind me. Um, there's a couple of Hebrew words that I feel like really emphasize song. Um, this word, tehila, it's like tequila with an H. So, dun 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 dun. It's used 57. That wasn't scripted. That was fun. Um, it's used 57 times in scripture, and uh, it specifically is referring to to sing spontaneously, um, to sing a melody of the heart by adding words 
um, the praise that God inhabits. Like Cody mentioned with Zachariah's song, before anything happened, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a word that is used when a song, I believe personally, has none of our flesh in it. It's when the Holy Spirit completely and fully prompts it. Um, you see this really well in different Psalms in Isaiah, but also in Revelation 5. Um, in Revelation 4, uh, John the Apostle has this open vision of heaven. They're singing holy, holy, holy. And then in Revelation 5, it says, they, then they sing a new song. And then out of that new song, they sing another new song and another new song. And there's like three or four of them. And it comes from the opening un- scene in heaven. And there's something within us that when we are so gripped by what heaven is doing and what heaven is singing, our, the spirit within us provokes this new song, and all we can do is to to heal it, to to burst out in this new song uh, by the spirit. It sometimes it doesn't sound pretty. Sometimes it doesn't rhyme. Um, we like to make it rhyme sometimes because it sounds good. But if it's truly birthed from the spirit, it doesn't have to rhyme. Um, if you guys come out to our prayer sets throughout the week, a lot of times we'll start those with a song, but by the end of it, we're singing some new song. Like it's completely different. We're like, where did we? get here, but it's a result of when you surrender the spirit, he just takes over and uh, the new song comes out through his word. That's awesome. And and so clearly, like singing, it's a powerful way. It steers our life. And and in worship, it it helps reorient our minds on Christ and his story and his rescue. My my question for you before uh, you head out is, why is singing specifically so powerful? What are some of the benefits? Why, Why is God so passionate about us worshiping him through song? Why does he care? Yeah, Uh, the verse that I thought of this morning, um, because I think it's a really important question of like, why not just say it? Why not just pray it? Why in in song form? And where um, there's the commandment, there's the verse that says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think we can say things just kind of half-heartedly sometimes. We can just kind of throw something out there and be like, or thank you, like whatever. But when you're singing something, it really does embody all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't know if you've ever tried to sing something and mean it. You kind of have to put your whole self into it. It's not something you can just do half-heartedly. And I think the Lord beckons this new song because he knows that we have to give our full self to it. And I think there's something, um, I shared this in the first service, I felt this where it's like, where we're going and just the new songs of the church, you can tell when a new song has life on it, at least me personally, I feel like when the spirit breathed into it, because it's just different. It has almost like an oil on it from the Lord. And I believe these new songs that we're singing, the ones that are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit, are the ones that we're not able to do on our own. We're not able to do in our flesh. And there might be moments where um, you just need to sing out a new song, and it's not going to come out of your flesh. It's going to come out of the spirit in you and through you. Um, and that's where I believe the Lord uh, releases the most, the spirit in us and unto him, the most beautiful melodies come forth. So I don't know, that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah, There's a lot of you, other John. brain science with that, but yeah. that's too much for Yeah, today. give John a round of applause. Thank you. And uh, yeah, w- when I was preparing for this talk, John and Abby sent me all of these articles on the brain science and benefit behind worship. Like there are so many benefits. We don't sing so that we're benefited by it, but there are a ton of benefits. We might go over that in the next few weeks uh, as we go through the sermon series. But Here's one of the challenges in the midst of this sermon series. This is a worship sermon series. And, and so 
specifically through singing. And, and so if you're in this room uh, and, and maybe singing isn't like the main way you connect with God, know that you're in good company. It's not the main way that I connect with God. Like it's really not. And yet I'm called to, to sing. Like that, that can be a discipline in my life. And I long for the moments. I have moments few and far between where I really get lost in a song, heart, soul, spirit, like John was talking about. And I want more of those. But in order to get those moments, I need to, I need to press in to what God is doing. Um, and, and so we want, we want to challenge you to press in to worship during this sermon series, even if it feels uncomfortable. Uh, pr- let's practice that discipline. And then uh, the other thing, uh, the other challenge for today is, is let's not revert back to the same old song and dance. Let's not give in to these uh, thought patterns, but instead, let's be informed by a new song. Let's be informed by the rescue and redemption that God has in plan for us. And as we journey throughout the, the Christmas season, uh, this needs to be front of mind, right? Because as Christmas gets closer, we all, we all know that there's still darkness all around us, right? Like no one's arguing that. There, there's darkness in our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and abroad. There's still chaos and calamity going on in Haiti and Israel and Palestine and Russia and Ukraine and all over the place. No one's arguing that this world is absolutely broken, Right? And so how do we navigate in the midst of what's supposed to be such a celebratory time, but we also hold in this hand, you know, hard things in our life, family losses, all sorts of stuff. How do we balance those things? It's by focusing on what God is doing, how he is singing a new song and how he's rescuing us, redeeming us to himself. And, and this kind of song, this new song, it's the song that we need to be teaching the next generation. It's the song that we need to be spurring one another on to sing in our pathway groups and micro churches and in our families and in our homes. We need to be reminding one another of God's goodness, of how he's still at work, of how he's not done. And uh, we just came out of our revival sermon series. Uh, It's all about the ingredients of revival and we can't make revival happen, but we can be faithful and do our part and and, and, uh, pray for God to show up. And we see this series as an extension of that series. We wanna continue to press in to what God is doing and we wanna hear his voice and respond with him and alongside him. And as I talk about darkness, as I talk about light, if there's anyone in this room that you've not given your life to Christ, then, then you don't know what true light is, right? Like we, we can't even fathom what peace is of having Christ in our heart, of him being the Lord of our life. And so I don't wanna just talk about the benefit, about the goodness of God, but not invite you in. Uh, we're gonna have prayer teams up here in a moment and, and they would love to pray with you over any questions you have around your relationship uh, with Christ. And, and we don't want you to leave uh, like w- without talking with one of us, if that's you. Um, if you were to find yourself today in the presence of God, you know, would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he say, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, that kind of question, we don't want you to leave here without talking to somebody. And that's also something you can pray on your own. It, you know, it doesn't need to involve one of us, but it's just praying, God, I don't wanna be the king of my life. I, I, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I wanna invite you into my heart. And so that's one way you can respond and worship team, you guys can come on up here. We're also gonna have prayer teams up here to pray over anything going on in our life. Any, any darkness in our life that we need to, we need to bring light into, we wanna do that. We serve a God who brings light into dark places. 
We're also gonna have communion up here, and uh, communion is for anyone who's a believer in Christ to take in remembrance of him, the cracker representing his broken body, the the juice representing his blood poured out for us. We do this every week because he commands us to do it often, and so let us partake in remembering what King Jesus has done for us. And then we're gonna sing. And again, we challenge you to press into this, whether you feel like it or whether it's a discipline, just to press in to singing and exalting God's name on high. So with that, would you stand and pray with me? God, you're good and uh, we need your light. We, we see darkness, we feel darkness. And so Father, help us to reorient our heart and our minds around your rescue plan that you've come and you're coming back. You're not leaving us. You promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And so we praise you, Lord, right now that you have a plan set in motion that we get to be a small part of. It's in your glorious name that we pray, the name of Jesus, amen.